everybody for waiting and um, welcome and hello. Um, I'm Sibylla Smith and this is our photo book book group. And I am starting with a few uh, introductions. Um, I learned this from India Beale, which was, um, she asked at the beginning of our talk for everyone on the call to think about who you follow on social media and what nonprofits you support. I've kind of added that piece. Since I work with a lot of nonprofits that both um, support contemporary photography and also especially issue-oriented photography. And it's amazing the price point for belonging to some of these nonprofits is negligible and it means so much. So I, I stopped to ask everyone to consider that. I'd appreciate you following me on social media and shouting out what Don is doing and what other people on this call are up to. Um, so I have started the photo book book group um, a year ago and it's been an amazing, uh, actually we have a global reach and we try to share ideas, challenges and resources. And I hold unscripted conversation uh, and I try to leave room for uh, our audience to get involved. And um, we have a couple of ways to do that. Matilda Biscaldi's on the call as my co-host and works with me. Some of you have known Deb Hemley who also takes that role. And um, if you want to put questions in the chat and ask Matilda to raise them, you can, or I'm pretty sure we can, uh, when we get to that point, just unmute and ask yourself. Um, the way that this works is I do have a PDF um, with some of the images from the book, some of the quotes from the book. Um, and we just use that as background and as frame. Um, but our, our conversation is, is open. Um, and um, yeah, I think what I wanted to do is um, start with my introduction and then um, we'll open up for Donna to start talking to us and telling us about, about her process. So thanks for, the, um, thanks for the housekeeping part. So my introduction, I, you don't need me to tell you this, but Donna Ferrado is beyond badass. And her work has been essential to the changes in policy, securing protection for women against violence. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Securing protection of violence against women. Her searing images of domestic violence, which she defines as a social disease with us since the Stone Age, is the subject of her first book, Living with the Enemy, published in 1991 by Aperture. It has been reprinted four times, and it led directly to the 1994 U.S. Congress legislation, the Violence Against Women Act. Ferrado's work on women's sexual pleasure was the subject of her 2005 book, Lust, Love and Lust, which was also published with Aperture. Holy is Ferrado's manifesto, celebrating women in all our powerful complexity. Holy is her compilation of 50 years of documenting the truth of domestic violence, the embodied sexual pleasure of a female body and the miraculous ability to give birth and sustain life. Recreating the Catholic patriarchal paradigm of the Holy Trinity to be one which includes and honors women, Ferrado frames the book in three chapters, mother, daughter, other, for those who honor 
and protect women. In Holy, Ferrado combines her images of survivors, swingers, and activists for the first time. In the foreword, Catherine Holden states, quote, this combination speaks to the whole spectrum of the truth of what it is to be a woman. The contradictions we are expected to embody, the virgin and the whore, the vulnerable and the invincible, the mother and the daughter. Donna's images have been in over 500 global exhibitions. Her awards are many and all point to her significant impact on humanity. The Crystal Eagle Award, Award for Courage in Journalism from the International Women's Media Foundation. The Robert F. Kennedy Award for Humanistic Photography. The W. Eugene Smith Grant for Humanistic Photography. The Missouri Honor Medal for Distinguished Service in Journalism. Recognition from the New York State Supreme Court judges for her work to encourage gender equality in 2009. The National Press Photographer Association's Humanitarian Award and being acknowledged in 2016 by the magazine Time for creating an image included in their 100 most influential photographs of all time. In 2014, Ferrado founded I Am Unbeatable, a nonprofit awareness campaign which features women who have left their abusers with the mission to expose, document, and prevent domestic violence against women and children through real stories of real people. I Am Unbeatable makes Ferrado's work available to inspire fundraising, to further advocate, educate, and increase awareness. Holy, published in 2020 by Powerhouse Books, is a call to action. It proclaims the sacredness of women's rights and our power to be masters of our own destiny. Before I turn over to Donna, I want to frame our discussion with a few statistics. And I want to give a trigger warning. The statistics and some of our imagery is challenging. And when I follow up as I do for anyone who uh, registered for the call, um, you'll get an email summary with the recording and it lists resources and we'll have resources. So the statistics I want to frame are three. As of 2021, an estimated 736 million women, almost one in three, have been subjected to intimate partner violence, non-partner sexual violence, or both at least once in their life. That is 30% of women aged 15 and older. The second statistic is about femicide, the killing of women. Multiple categories had to be made to include the ways in which and why women are killed and they include intimate, non-intimate, sexual orientation, honor killing, and dowry deaths. The global, burden, the global burden of armed violence in 2014, their database showed that between 2007 and 2012, on average, 60,000 women were killed violently around the world. And the last statistic, 
68,000 women die worldwide each year due to botched or illegal abortion proceedings. So with that, it is my honor and privilege to host Donna and to learn of her creative practice and bookmaking process. Understanding the creation of Holy took many iterations and the making itself was a renewed or a renewal during a frightening time in the political landscape of the United States government, who to this day continue to actively and aggressively harm women's health by limiting our choices, access, and agency. And I can say, I think I'm on my 26th or 7th book group, and I've never had an author on that has so impacted the trajectory of my life and obviously my daughter's life. So Donna, thank you, thank you, and thank you for letting me give you that long introduction, but welcome, and thank you for being here. Sibylla, thank you so much. That, that was an introduction like no other, and it, it, I feel blessed by the way you did the research and you compiled so much and um, and your passion and your commitment as what you know is is enormous and I I feel blessed by it and I'm so happy to be here to share this with you it's it's very exciting for me very exciting and I I wouldn't trust anybody else with it except you oh thank you so much I mean I I shared with you just when we got on that we've only had one phone call and it entailed a lot of screaming and swearing it was like immediate sisterhood We're laughing we laughed a lot we laughed a I lot I called you a witch yeah you did you actually called me a fucking woman witch frankly <laughs> real woman fucking witch and know? I was like yeah that that about says it um I wanted to just also say that um the image that we're looking at is an iteration and it was ironic but i was reviewing your book before it came out from pdf um, for zeke for the social documentary network's publication and actually i was looking at one of the iterations and yeah. I, this image is from that exactly like poor powerhouse really mm -hmm. they couldn't keep up with the iterations uh, made Daniel go nuts, completely nuts. Um, and he just stopped taking my calls for about a year. Just, uh, you know, it, we were going nuts. Every time they'd put something up online, we'd change the whole thing. Can you tell us about that? Because I remember the frame I saw almost had a family album feel. And I think you told me that there were like almost four distinct iterations. Yeah, yeah. There, there were four iterations, yeah. Mm -hmm. And my, my poor team also, you know, they, they really couldn't. The first two iterations, they sort of worked really hard and optimistically believing this would be the final one. But then as it started to, you know, to get worse, this condition I have, just changing things, never being really convinced that it's good enough. Um, then they started to like get stronger and be okay. And I have Gabo here who, who is really the true midwife of the Book of Holy because he, he just, he never argued with me. He never tried to say, no, 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 Donna, it's too much. What are you doing? You know, I mean, he just, he would just 
understand what I was saying, and then he would help me to get it done and to do it the way I felt it had to be. So um, it was just an incredible experience for all of us, really. It was like building a new universe, which is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. The mother, the daughter, and the others. You know, mm-hmm. this is where I was needed to go, but it took me years to, to figure that out. Mm-hmm. To be well, that defiant against the patriarchy and against the whole system, which is obviously broken. And it mm-hmm. was designed that way to keep women down. Mm-hmm. So it's going to yeah. take a whole lot for all of us to come together and be on top, which is where we belong. Yep. I, I actually was one of the articles that we'll have in the summary uh, was in reference to the recent um, exhibition. It just closed in Chicago, which is excellent. And I have the video ready for people in the summary tomorrow. And one of the people that they had interviewed about it spoke of how when you are baked within a system, it's very hard to pull out the structure that is actually perpetuating the myth, the thought, like, just like you said, you recreated this trinity. And what was it like that that was fed to men and women, and it only had men in it? So and the ghost and the ghost. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. couldn't even put the mother of God. Mm-hmm. Had to be mm-hmm. a ghost. Mm-hmm. In his in his image, yeah. um, everything yeah. had to be in his image. Mm-hmm. Well, and we also were given, you know, uh, visuals to go along with the he. Um, I wanted to bring in this picture, which really. Uh, changed your life and then actually changed Elizabeth's life and then changed all of our lives. Um, Do you want to tell how you were in the bathroom? What were you covering and how this, the impact it had on you? Well, right off the bat, I should say it didn't really change her life. And I've had so, Elizabeth and I are very close and we're like soul sisters. And we've talked about this and Time Magazine talked about it with her, but she doesn't see this picture as changing her life because she is a very much a self-made woman and she went through a lot to change her life mm-hmm. in a way this picture is more about it, it it serves as a as a marker you know in the line of things that happened to women this this was the first time that it really came out um where I don't know, okay. Um, This is the first time that anybody actually saw a woman being abused and it did change my life because I never saw a woman being beaten. I didn't grow up like this really um, in any way. Although my grandmother talked about it, but happening to her, but I never saw it. I didn't really believe it. I really grew up thinking that men were okay. Um, I saw that women could be very difficult and violent and wild, and and I saw more of that probably than I saw with the men. And nobody talked about domestic violence when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So when this happened, um, at one point I took it to the magazines and asked them, the you know Dick Stolle at, at at Life Magazine, to do something with it, and he was terrified. He mm-hmm. was terrified by it. And, and he didn't know what to do. And he, 
And, and I, I understand now that it was because he represented the citadel of media power. Mm-hmm. And they had never, they might be thought black men might do this, or any man of color, but never a white man, never a white man living next door to Richard Nixon, you know, in his big mansion. It was a hard thing for people in power to, to swallow mm-hmm. the idea of a man hitting his wife in his own house in front of a photographer. But who's that photographer? Just a little nothing, nothing, a little woman, a little bug on the wall. Mm-hmm. Didn't intimidate anybody. Mm-hmm. That was their first big mistake. Big mistake for the men to make, you know, to not be intimidated by a woman with a camera. Yeah. So yeah, it all started the ball rolling eventually when it was published. I did not publish this picture till it was in my book. I wouldn't let any of these magazines publish my pictures. And I say this because I want other photographers to understand that. Mm-hmm. Even when you get something that's in a really amazing picture, you don't have to publish it right away. You have to figure out what you're going to do with it. And I realized that I just needed to keep taking more pictures and understanding the story of women who get treated like Elizabeth was being treated in her home. It wasn't enough just to publish her story right away in 1982. I spent the next 10 years just going around trying on, across the country, trying to collect as many stories as I could. Mm-hmm. And I would let every magazine that would fund me to do this journey they could publish whatever pictures they had assigned me to do and paid me to do. But they would only have the rights to use these pictures one time. That's why I say in the beginning of the book that I am, I am the maker of my photographs and I control my rights. I don't give anybody else any rights with my photographs. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Mm-hmm. No agency. No magazine. I would never succumb to the Vanity Fair contract or any other contract you know no these photographs are they belong to me and they belong to the people in the pictures but once they sign a release then these photographs they belong to the world to society to other people because this is real life this is real life you can't control it Mm -hmm. it's like you know once the cat's out of the bag you can't put it back in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is a a quote of um, someone reviewing Living with the Enemy, saying it's a book that's difficult to pick up and impossible to put down. It's a book that will completely transform assumptions about battered women and the men who abuse them. I was listening to a podcast this morning and heard a catchy phrase, basically, if you aren't transforming, you are transmitting. And I think that's a really good frame to have. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Trans- yeah. Transform so you don't transmit. This was the cover when I was looking at the PDF and this didn't make it into the final book. Um, but I can completely see how this was on the way to the book. Oh yeah. This really scared the bejesus out of people, you know, really scared the bejesus. And that I guess that's what I wanted to do in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to really scare people. But, you know, through the pandemic, I began to realize how fragile people were, really. And I didn't want to 
Why didn't I, I realized that my way of just constantly like sucking it to them mm -hmm. um, might not like help the, the message of this book. And so, so I, but you know, this picture, this cover really still says it all. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, yeah. I work with people on their concept development and uh, just wanted to underscore that idea of on the way to the book, that this idea that it's a process and you were involved in it and allowing uh, the dynamic experience. Um, because I think that you got all of this in the book. Like that the fact that this wasn't in there uh, as the cover, um, you brought everything about this cover where those words are so in your face and they're written in bold and they get you from everywhere, you know, from um, just what we were talking about, all the contradictions uh, and you incorporated it. Yeah, and you know, Sabella, I mean, even though this isn't the book cover that people see, this is all part of the embedded messages in this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, I realized a long time ago, photography is a really powerful medium, but in a way it's not enough. It's really not enough. And a lot of photographers, they get frustrated when their stories get published in all the big magazines, that not enough changes. Mm -hmm. What they don't realize is that just getting your story published in a magazine it changes people for about a second. It influences, doesn't change anybody. It's because, as you said, when it's in a magazine, it's just transmitting a message. The mm -hmm. photographer has to speak very loudly, very, you know, be very like point blank about what they are doing when they take these pictures, not be so mousy and pussyfooting around all the time about what they are doing when they take the pictures. So what I'm saying is, is that even though you don't see this, this cover is definitely embedded in the book. Mm -hmm. It's embedded in the cover, which has a very definite message embedded in the final cover. But as they say, less is more, mm -hmm. less is more. And so the final cover, when we come to the final cover, we will go into what is Great. so much about this book. I also, I, I want before we're almost to the cover, but I um, understand that this photograph is your self-portrait. You were trying to make yourself look a little older and that you had taken it, I don't know, maybe in the 70s, I think? 76, the year of 1976, when I was leaving my husband, I was leaving home, I was leaving America. I had my, my little camera over my shoulder and just you know maybe 10 rolls of triax and i was hitting the road and so i said let me take some self portraits and i powdered my hair up and like you know put my mom's lipstick on and stood in her bathroom and did this picture which was to you know my, the camera was on a tripod and i really set myself up to think like I'm naked in this bathroom and a man has suddenly come into it. What am I going to do? 
And so in some of the frames on that roll of film, I'm actually charging at the camera, mm. like a bull, you mm. know, charging. Mm -hmm. But many years later, maybe 25 years later, I was looking at this roll of film and it had transformed, transformed. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful word. Those bolts coming out of my head are on the negative. Mm. That is like a portrait, not of Dorian Gray, but of Donna Ferrato being affected by all of the brutality and the ugliness and the injustice and the disrespect that I had seen being done to women over all the years since I had photographed Elizabeth being hit in her bathroom. Mm -hmm. I mean, that picture didn't really add anything to her life. It's true. She did it, but it transformed me. Mm -hmm. And it made me into this, like, whew, like a woman, like on the warpath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as you said, and we had before that you really led, uh, you used your camera in the war against women. This was the first iteration. This was when it was like, okay, I, I, see, it I see the Trinity here. But I had like the sisters and that, that was like, that was like, th th that didn't work. But then let's go to the next one. Actually, I throw in another quote here. Okay. This is okay, another, beautiful. Beautiful. which I really love because um, I think this speaks to honestly your underlying intention, even even through all the bolts coming out of your head with what you had to absorb by being such a witness. But it says throughout, whether violent. Um, I'm not sure if so, everyone could mute because I'm hearing background noise. Except well, that's for, my, uh, these are the men outside. They're constantly to bury my house. <laughs> well, we'll talk over them. So it says throughout, whether violent, broken, transgressive, base, ephemeral, elated, quotidian, or eternal, love is present. And Ferrado sees in it beauty without moralizing or patronizing Ferrato successfully reveals love. And that's in reference to love and lust. So I really appreciate that. So we're almost to the cover, but this is your, this is not only the second iteration of your- This is the fourth. Your this holy, the fourth of, the fourth, of the yeah. Holy Trinity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and how did you go from sisters to other? Well, because I, I realized that in my book were st many stories of, of gays, of queer people, of trans people. Many of my friends and the, the people that I love are trans. Mm -hmm. And all the people that I love are in this book. Mm -hmm. And as well, there are many stories of wonderful young men who are really there with their mothers and their sisters and their girlfriends and the others and they so i realized that i couldn't just and my dad even though i'm mad at him that my dad was good for me he was a good man for a, a young woman to grow up with mm -hmm. in many ways so so i had to include mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the others the others are just as equally holy and important as the mother and the daughter too um we all work together that that's how I conceived it, but I had to kind of separate and I really wanted to give the mother the top billing. Mm 
Because the mother is the one in all of our lives who goes through hell, trying to protect us, feed us, be there for us, watch over us when everybody else is gone. You know, they're just gone on their merry way. The mother, you know, nine times out of 10 is the one who's there mm -hmm. and she gets no credit. She gets, there's no way to show our immense appreciation to her. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted to do is to, this, this book and the message of this book is really to, to appreciate women, to praise women in mm -hmm. all of their, with their, with their power, their flaws, their hopes, their dashed dreams. Um, it, it does matter. All of the love that women put into their, their children from the beginning of time is what really matters. Also, I mean, you ended up reimagining a paradigm beyond a binary. So instead of flipping the binary, you have an inclusive one in terms of the other. Thank you. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, honestly, it's, e it's not easy, but there's a temptation to, you know, we, we talked about, um, <laughs> we talked about the, the use of the word fuck as feminism and, and, and to be free with that. But it's kind of like there is a ability or a, a leaning into saying like, fuck that and do just like do it back but that's actually not really helpful. It is that idea of coming back and saying, you know what, I'm not gonna just switch the sides. I'm actually gonna change the landscape. Um, so I think that reimagining, while right now feels rather frightening in terms of real life stuff going down, in terms of um, curtailing rights, just look at Texas legislature, um, and anywhere else worldwide. Um, this also is a place where if we are able to embody this type of paradigm, we could shift everything. So it's that, it's that crisis where there's danger and there's hope or opportunity. So I really look at this as, a, as hope. So then this is in the book. Long ago, original sin was described as blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. In this book, where women and children are the Holy Trinity, sexual assault of any woman or child is the worst sin for which there is no forgiveness. Yeah. Yep. 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 Or fucking excuse. Yeah, no fucking excuse for sexually assaulting any woman or child. Yeah. No fucking excuse for it. None. Yep. Got it. Here we are. Here is your, um, here's your cover. And in our first conversation, I asked like, so is there something in this cover? And that's when you called me a witch. So I took that as a compliment <laughs> and, um, cause I felt it. I, I don't know that I know all of the symbolism, but I knew your hand was behind this and there was a purpose for all of it. Well, I'm really glad that, that you were, that you, you were curious to enough to, to bring it up. Cause I was thinking at the time, you know, about the cover and I was, I guess I was hoping that you would ask more about it too. So we were on the same page here. Um, 
you know, as you see with the O, the O became the most important symbol. And that's why Gabo and I use it for any kind of communication we send out hmm. or any, any videos that we do, because that represents, that O represents all, all women and all the others. The, the triangle at the bottom is the symbol for LGBTQ. And it's, so it, it encompasses everybody. You know, this book is inclusive. Mm -hmm. That's the heart and soul of this book. But, you know, as I was getting to the very end, a friend of mine who lived around the corner and he recently died, Richard Nones, who's a very powerful sculptor and he has a powerful style. And he said, Donna, you know what? Your, your book is just so emphatic, but you need to have a black line on it, the black line. And he was just thinking to put a black line on, but whenever I see something like that, that can be used as an element, I take advantage of it. So I realized it was very important what I was gonna put under that black line. Now in 2004, I took a trip to Peru to um, see my, my husband's um, Johnny Laris. His sister was in big trouble and trying to commit suicide. So I went there to help her out. And then we all, she and her niece and I, we went to the Andes and we went to do ayahuasca. And in my ayahuasca trip, I was trying to understand, this was 2007. My Love and Lust book had come out in 2004. And for that book, I was completely condemned by the general media and by many people who thought, ah, Ferrado, okay, we can accept it with living with the enemy. We get it, that's, that's new, that's passionate, that's about women's rights, whatever. But here she's actually condoning swinging and women being promiscuous and doing whatever they want. And she's saying, more love better, more free love better. So I, w I became like a pariah in the photo community for that and other reasons, which doesn't matter. But so when I was taking the, the ayahuasca trip, you're supposed to have a question that you ask of the Pachamama. You know, mm -hmm. what it, my question was, um, why am I always concerned about women's sexuality and about domestic violence? Why am I spending my whole life on this since, since, you know, 1982? Why? And all of a sudden, in the midst of seeing these women in my visions, women, beautiful, bold, badass women were like dancing around me and kicking. And every time I tried to wander away and think about all the problems back in America that were waiting for me, and they were significant ones, um, the women would just kick in my face harder and harder and like to say, focus on, focus here, Donna. And then all of a sudden I heard God speak from above and God said, heal the penis, heal the penis heal the penis. That's why I was doing all of this work with sexuality and violence against women. And so then I realized with this line that the message of this book has to be not heal the penis, but what I wrote under that black line is heal thy penis, or as Megan the Stallion would say, heal the penis. This is to men. Heal your own penis. Heal it, because you're not doing us any good. You're hurting us a lot. 
And I know women, they want to love men. They want to love the fathers of their children. They want to love the man that they fell in love with. They, they want to believe in the goodness of the man that they know is in there. But there are some things that are so fundamentally fucked up. And it's not allowing us to breathe or to grow or to become strong. And to really show what we can do. I mean, women can do so much. It's insane how much we're with the potential in every woman. So that's the message. And by now, a lot of people, there are a lot of people buying this book. This is like, this, this has been quite a successful adventure to see it happening. That's in there. So every person who buys this book, they are holding a book that says, heal, heal thy penis. Mm. Really. Mm. And it's at the same time, it's an announcing the power of women, all women. Everyone who's associated with women, everyone who supports women, it's all in this book. Without all the slurs, without all the threats, with that, it's just like, come on, heal thy penis. Wow. So, so, okay, I knew you were going to blow me away, and I didn't know where it was going to go. But when I think about that, and I think about your other cover, and all of those words, right? Like shouting those words back is not helpful, but actually putting the responsibility back and, and actually reframing it. Because we constantly talk about victims of violence. We talk about women who were raped. We need to start using the statistic as this many men raped. So that it's very, um, that's the kind of uh, challenge to see the reality for what it is. This isn't a women's problem. Uh, nope. This is the idea, heal thy penis, is the idea of be responsible for your penis, understand your penis, deal with the fact that we have the power as women to have ovaries, the uterus in certain situations and give birth. So I think the power of women is why the violence, our power is equal to the amount of violence. If you wanna turn those stats around, it's, those are all attempts to minimize power. We have amazing power, but the responsibility being men being responsible for abusing their power. Right, and if we choose to have children, we weaken our bodies in many ways, you know, and we go through when we choose to have babies and it's not an obligation for any woman. Now, the Catholic Church may think it is. The Catholic Church has always felt that women had to be controlled. Women's freedom, women's pleasure had to be controlled, monitored by men. You know, mm -hmm. we had to be shamed into being obedient. So. So this, this has always been working against us and anyone who follows that, who follows the church is part of the problem, really, because they're not facing, you know, the hypocrisy and the immorality of all of this, of keeping women down. But when women choose to have babies, their bodies have gone through an unbelievable experience. Mm -hmm. They're not interested in sex for a while, you know, mm -hmm. their, their, their libido dies down, they're focus becomes their instinct is to protect their youngins. That's what usually makes men go the craziest. Mm -hmm. That's when they start abusing women is when they're pregnant. That's when they start revealing that they have to control her one way or another. So they start intimidating her, beating her, yelling 
at her and the baby is hearing all of this while the baby is in the womb. Mm -hmm. And then when the baby comes out, a woman is very fragile. Mm -hmm. She's, she's got to get better. She needs time to heal and to grow. And there are a lot of men who do not understand this and they think it's all about their needs, mm -hmm. their needs. They have erections. What am I going to do with it? Well, you know, we know what they can do with that. They just learn, you know, how to waste those seeds, you know, masturbate, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever, mm -hmm. you know, but do not force your sexuality on a woman. Mm -hmm. Never. I, I don't know whether I, I don't know whether I heard this or whether I made this up, but since we're talking about penises, one of the comments I've made or have or frames is that men have two heads and they think with one of them. And you know, yes, yes. And and there are many, many great men out there. There are. Who, they know their penis's place. Yep. They're not so desperate. You know, they know their penis's place and they really, they, they value their mind. They yeah. value their, they value all of this and they value women and they value their lives. Mm -hmm. um that you know but it is a percentage if what is it what percentage of men need to heal their penises you know it could be could be like easily three out of five mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well i'm thinking about that. The statistics you know right. when you look at the statistics so this yeah. is a good quote i mean i i think i've been you know really put down a lot by the photo community because i use my voice mm -hmm. to normalize sex mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. You were making me think of the triangle as before having father on top. And, um, and, you know, you could almost think if we were just to frame it as body parts, right, that if you change it, and you've got uterus for mother on top, um, and not penis like father on top. And this idea that other incorporates everybody. Like we, that's why it isn't a binary and all men are bad or all men abuse women or, or, or lead with their uh, sexual needs and none other. However, we are all within this patriarchy harmed, which is the same as with racism and other areas where we are so uh seeing the the non-binary and the idea that we are all connected and this idea of normalizing sex normalizing pleasure um a woman talking about pleasure and a woman talking about sex um yeah breaking through um assumptions as if that that's not real when when it is. So I've got a few pictures from the book, um, and I know that each story is in depth. Um, and 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 I, I I don't want to lead into each story only because I want to get a flavor for it and be okay. able to have people talk to you. But I can. I, I, I remember the event of Hedda Nussbaum um, when that happened in 1987. That was, I actually grew up in, in Westchester. So that was, that was really, really astounding. That was another uh, crack in the wall, so to speak. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 
and um, you have compiled and the way that you have um, put these pieces together. I know I'm talking very much about our topic or the topic of the book, but I also step back and think aesthetically and bookmaking and the idea that you have full bleed, that you have frames, that you have your handwriting. Um, I really appreciate the, the fourth iteration. I just think it so encompasses and, and humanity. You know, but also to, to get back to the process, you know, writing these captions had to be done perfectly. I mean, because this is my real handwriting and it could not be changed once it was, there was, these are made into do it tones. Each one of these photographs, uh, these photographic pages were made into do it tones that were sent off to Thomas Palmer in Rhode Island. So I had to get it perfectly, the spacing, you know, I had to get the spelling. I'm, I'm a terrible speller. I didn't have an editor looking over. Yes, my assistants would help, but most of my assistants don't speak English in, as their first language. And, and uh, so I, I, you know, we, this was, I had to redo these captions hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. it, just one little misspelling, I had to redo the whole thing. Um, or because I didn't say it as well as I should have. And I know that there are still some pictures where I did not say it as, I made mistakes in this book. It's not perfect. Mm -hmm. And I own up to them. And I, you know, I will talk about the mistakes anytime. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm a flawed photographer. I'm a very flawed woman. I'm a flawed mother. I'm a flawed human being, you know, but I keep learning from the mistakes I make. And I'm not afraid to say that I make a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a way to fail up to actually, you know, it gets you back on a road. Yep. This says, this spread says a lot. You I know. know. I have so many pictures with her, Annie Sprinkles too throughout her whole life. I, I adored her when I first saw her at, at um, Plato's retreat when she used to, you know, be dancing. And she was always just such a fantastic creation, self-creation. So I followed her my whole life and we're still, we're still friends. And I mm -hmm. photograph her all the time. And, and then you see this amazing picture here. Yes. left you know this this says it all too there's the triangle and the sins and all the bubbles the the ephemeral aspect of of our lives you know is right there in that picture on the left mm -hmm. i put this in the spread because i wanted to hear about that image on the left because it was arresting to me mm -hmm. um and i also 2001 right after 9 11 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I was I really also appreciate how you put that in at the bottom of the frame, and I think um, speaking of Annie, I I don't know whether it was on your Instagram or hers where she did a video about the book. Oh yeah, and it was that, did you like that? It was really I loved it. <laughs> I, I loved it. Yep. 
Because you can see she's yeah. so she's so good. She's so beautiful inside and out. She's just such, she's so exquisite. She's like Mother Earth. And it hurt her to see these pictures of violence. She she didn't want, you know, it hurt her. There were so many mm. pictures of pain put into this book. I think that she was one of the people in the book. Could I have that water there? Mm -hmm. oh, um, no, no, that's good. That's, is there any water in there? Okay. Um, she was one of the 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 people in the book who just really was hurting the most from looking at, mm. at the violence you know and the pain um mm -hmm. and that's good if i can still make annie sprinkles feel something like that um mm. wow uh, you know i'm honored mm. we need pain you know i also converted to judaism um many years ago um, and I believe in that, that we need to, I believe in the whole tenet of the marriage, Junius, where you step on a glass and break it at the wedding ceremony and shatter, you know, the joy and happiness that everyone is believing is going to come with this marriage. It just prepares you for the fact that there are going to be, you know, very hard times ahead and there's going to be a lot of pain. And that's, mm. that's, that's, that's something that I embrace. Mm -hmm that we're gonna mm -hmm. have a lot of pain, we're gonna fall down, and we have to get mm -hmm. back up. Mm -hmm. This is also a quote in the book, uh, in the foreword by Claudia Glenn Dowling. The women's movement has always been about sex, about women reclaiming their orgasms, abortions, births, agency over their own lives and wombs from men who try to control them. Out says it all. I just love the expanse of um, geography, of time, of ethnicity, of all these experiences within women's lives. It really is the complexity and the power. Like the women up here that organized uh, and became peer mentors. Yep. They're, they're the ones who shaped me. Armenia here, Armenia Apolinario, she shaped me. She's, she's been my best friend since, what, 1994 or five. I'm the godmother to her son, Kamau. I, I love Armenia. She's one of my bestest, closest friends. We speak almost every day. And I learned from her how to be a better mother, really, a thousand percent. She's an extraordinary woman. This woman should be writing the books about mothering and raising children and educating children. And her children are all incredible achievers. They're so dynamic and beautiful and powerful. And it's not because of who she was married to. You know, he didn't help at all. I mean, he's an okay man, but he never helped. He never financially helped. He was not there through the raising of her three children. She did it on her own. She didn't have anybody else helping her. She did it on her own. That's a woman. That's what a woman can do. And that's really what a lot of women of color do and have been doing. And that's why, really, I bow to the women of color. Mm -hmm. I really do. You know, I, I think a lot of white women, they, they need to 
they need to do the same thing. You know, they need to acknowledge that they get a lot of help, a lot of assistance, and 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 we need to give much more. All of us have to give much more to women of color who are, you know, still, they're still, I mean, I think it was really women of color who, who liberated us from Trump mm -hmm. and the coronavirus, those mm -hmm. two things. And I, you know, but women of color and coronavirus together teamed up to liberate our country. I, I actually asked for this image because this was so powerful when I saw it in the book. And what is, what is being transmitted is a transformation here. You're witnessing that. You yeah. are witnessing her transforming how that young boy sees the world. And she wrote that. Arminia wrote that in the bedroom you know sometimes she would come and stay here during uh COVID, and so she saw you know all the, the crazy stuff i was going through and um one day and the the the, the actual caption that i had written wasn't wasn't nearly um as important as what she wrote on the black board mm -hmm. um because she like she is raising a son you know she has a daughter and two sons she is in fear every day her sons go out the door because of what we've been seeing how the you know the the patriarchy is trying to destroy men of color as well they they've been doing this for a long time and getting away with that so she this these are her words the black mom that persists and insists teaching their son's daughter's strength and resistance mm -hmm. um i wanted to that makes me think of two things one is that the statistics since we're in the week of George Floyd's murder, it is almost a thousand black men have been killed since then. It's 900 and a high figure. It's closer to a thousand than anything. Appalling. The other is outrageous, heartbreaking. The other is um, in terms of black women and black women leading us, um, uh, there is a um, health movement started by two women called Girl Trek. And it was to get black women walking, um, partly because their uh, mortality rate is ridiculous because their life stress and challenges is overwhelming. And mm -hmm. that it was an idea of getting a million women walking and they have gotten a million women walking. So I would encourage everyone on the call to look up Girl Trek and then- sure. What they did and what I did during the pandemic is Girl Trek went through three iterations of what's called Black History Boot Camp. And they looked at figures uh, in, the, in the history that we may not know of. And they claim the ancestry from everything like talking about being daughters of Audre Lorde or, Audre Lorde, or Maya Angelou. Um, or Cicely Tyson, but then other people like um, uh, that we might not know as well that are not household names, the thousands of women that were as courageous as Rosa Parks, but that we don't know about. And it just is very, very important history to understand. So if people don't know about that, I'll put that in the summary. Um, Black History Bootcamp, it's on. Um, uh, you know, anywhere you get a podcast and they have a 
they have a newsletter that you can sign up for and it comes with other background material, which is incredible. Um, we grew up hearing about Betsy Ross, right? That's who we always yeah. heard about. We never heard about Harriet Tubman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We never heard about Rosa Parks, really. We didn't know about all these black women who were brought here as slaves and beaten and held down. And they weren't being propped up by the patriarchy in any way. And yet they were fighting for revolution and for rights, for the rights of their people. You know, they're well, I mean, just, we, we weren't educated. No. We, we were fed a lot of lies. That's why I also refer to the 1619 Project a lot, which was put out uh, a couple of years ago between the New York Times and the Pulitzer, uh, a reclaiming of a narrative. And um, there's a huge curriculum about it. And of course, there's also a fight to squelch that um, because it's actually the truth. Right, um, right. So I'm just putting in a few more um, photographs of like just this is this whole idea of this woman and then bringing her children to the truth, right? Living yeah, the truth absolutely. and changing and, the truth. And both of her boys are extraordinary human beings, They're extraordinary men, the mm -hmm. really powerful men. Their father was a violent, insecure, controlling, terrifying man who took her when she was 13 years old stole into her bedroom and had sex with her, you know, and then she got pregnant and then he convinced her parents that she had to go with him. And that's when her life of hell began when she was 14. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I would never say to any woman that, well, if you've been raped at a very young age and you should have an abortion because I don't, I don't, I don't, it's not for anybody to tell a woman if she mm -hmm. wants to have those children as Sarah Augusta did, she will put all of her love and everything she's got into raising those children. She has to get away from the abuser. That's for sure. And she did that, mm -hmm. but she can raise these beautiful men with her love. And she also found the love of a very good man, Tommy, who's always been there for her ever since she left the abuser. Incredibly good man. So women can turn it around. Women have that power in them. Mm -hmm. Women have so much power, mm -hmm. even well, in the early years, you know. And, and that's the Exactly. That's and this comes out of what you, this is the retreat that you put together. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is it part of I Am On Beat? Part of a workshop, a, a workshop where I was teaching mm -hmm. photographers to photograph in a battered women's shelter, how mm -hmm. to do that work. So I had about six photographers and we were living in in east hampton i had a home for us and then i put two photographers at a time in the shelter to get to know that we were there for a week mm -hmm. these are the workshops that i do all of my workshops are immersive in every workshop i do i live with my photographers mm -hmm. i don't just take them for a few hours every day and then let them go off and and then i don't see them till the next day you can say that, you know, I'm a pain in the ass, but I like to really stick tight with mm -hmm. the people who want to learn with me. I, I, wanna, I want my voice to get into their heads so that even when they're away from me, they're still hearing about what's important. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful piece. And this was during the Women's March. You were in Spain because you were being exhibited. 
Yeah, and we were working on preparing the exhibit, and um, I was also doing a, a weekend workshop there. So yeah, and we went out in the streets and found this awesome. um, happening, the International Day. This is a really important spread. It's, it's amazing good. that you picked this. It's mm -hmm. really amazing. It's this as everything, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. And I, again, yeah, because of the role, you're, you're transforming your family relationships um, comes through in this. And this pairing was really amazing. And it's not that I don't love my dad. I really, really love him. And I know that he wouldn't be mad at me for telling the truth in this book, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Who knows, my brothers might be, because they, they're not the same as my dad. They're very, very different. They're not the same as me. Um, but my dad, he, he wasn't good to my mom. He really didn't get it. And he was bipolar. But he gave so much of himself. He healed. He saved people. But emotionally, he was, he was hard to be around because yep. he was bipolar. Mm -hmm. And it came out as he got older. You know, and probably he had less responsibility. He didn't have to, you know, be giving his 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 all to save people's lives. But he loved photography. He passed that on to me, really. Mm -hmm. And he mm -hmm. loved us all. He loved my brothers. He loved my mom. But he just really didn't know how to show his love. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was probably part of his being a man and not having a very healthy penis to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was, he had a, he had a sex addiction too. Mm -hmm. He thought he could do whatever he wanted. Mm -hmm. While his wife just stayed home there to heal him and take care of everything and take care of his messes. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say, you know, heal thy own penis, men, mm -hmm. heal it. That's another image of your mom also taking care of. Fanny. Yep. You know, that's how I grew up. And that's why I didn't want to be like my mom. Because mm -hmm. she was always taking care of everybody. It's hard to be a woman. It's really hard work, endless work. It's never over. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have so much admiration for my mother. It's just impossible to express the love I feel have for her. I, I, I also just love this photograph. It really, really spoke to me. I put this in. Yep. Love this. Mm -hmm. And this is from um, I Am Unbeatable, where you are teaching, recognize the warning signs. Love has nothing to do with violence. And I Am Unbeatable is an archive of the movement against domestic violence. So I wanted that to be in there. And I love this quote from Ursula Le Guin. We are volcanoes when we women offer our experience as our truth, as human truth, all the maps change. There are new narratives. Perfect. I put in a picture of you. Thank you. That was just taken last weekend on Block Island. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best way to, you know, to get yourself clean outdoors. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I'm gonna stop my share and 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 give us some time to open up to questions. And and I have some. Um, if if there aren't any, not my own. People have written to me to ask questions. 
So um, thank you for walking us through that. And I would love to take the remainder of our time to ask people to unmute and, um, and let's start a dialogue with our audience. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Glad to have you here. Hey, Swani. Hey, Donna. Hi, what how you doing? I'm good. Thanks what an coming. awesome, uh, yet another extraordinary book that is so needed at this time and so honest as you always are and direct and to the point. Thank you so, so much. And I have to say, thanks to Powerhouse for doing this, right? Right. I mean, not, right. A, not an easy title to bring into the world. So I'm, I'm glad uh, Daniel stood tall and did this. He did. He really did. Thank you, Swanee, for, for um, uh, affirming that, that, you know, Powerhouse was a pretty, pretty strong shoulders. I don't, Aperture could have never done it. Never in a million right. years. Right. They would have never given me the freedom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the coolness about powerhouses because it's not a cookie cutter publishing yeah. house. You know, they, they allow the photographers to be artists in their own right. But then the photographer has to take the ball. When they got it, they got to take the ball and run with it. Mm -hmm. and, and then you just don't let anybody touch you or hold you back or say no. Right put you down or make you feel like you're stupid or whatever. You just can't let anybody make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about. Well, and you, you know your material and you know what you want to say and how you want to say it. And not every author goes into that step of publishing ready to do all of that and truly be an advocate for your own work. So you, you nailed it. Point. That's a very good point too. An advocate for my own work. I pro I really had to do that. You're right, especially for love and lust, because mm -hmm. nobody got it. Why I was advocating for women's pleasure? Come on, what's what is this about? You know, why can't we all advocate for women's pleasure? Because it's not just when you're 20 years old or 30 years old. Women's pleasure gets stronger as we get older. We go through menopause, menopause. We menstruation's great, but when we go through menopause, we get even more stronger, more dynamic. We keep our health like strong, you know, we don't let anybody beat us down. We eat the way we want to eat. We go to bed when we want to go to bed. We, we make love when we want to make love and with whoever we want to make love and however we want to make love. It doesn't, Nobody can tell us what to do. Those are the women, mm -hmm. those are the really the happiest women on earth who live like that, mm -hmm. live on their own terms. Mm -hmm. There's actually, um, I just posted about it yesterday, but the Bristol Photo Festival has uh, highlighted five women in process, um, which basically is a takeoff from what happened at MoMA 50 years ago, but it's actually all women in process in their creative process. And one of them is Leah Abril, who's doing a massive multimedia project, The History of Misogyny. And she already did abortion with her first book mm -hmm. and her second is on rape. And in this particular um, part of the, uh, the exhibition, she has menstrual myths um, and there's a lot of interesting information around that. Um, and I just wanted to, um, 
to share. I'm not sure if Hannah is still on because she wrote a question and uh, Hannah's history is rather amazing in terms of her mother's experience of being battered and uh, becoming permanently disabled. Today's her mother's birthday and Hannah is able to see her for the first time in 14 months. So Hannah told me that she wouldn't be able to stay for the whole uh, thing, uh, our presentation. And so I'm gonna ask Hannah's question. So she wrote to me, um, she wrote a quote of yours, Donna, that says, years after I am pushing daisies with a little bit of luck, my photographs will have spread the seeds in the fields of discourse and communication. And Hannah writes, Donna's photographs have made an impact not only on myself, but the photographic world. Do you know where that need to leave behind part of you and your voice stems from? Basically, the question you asked yourself—that—that—that's—that's that, that, directed to me. Like yes. where I come from. Yep. Mm. You know, I don't know. I mean, I can say that I'm very influenced by people. You know, but I think as a child, as a young girl, I always felt. Powerful. Maybe it's my father who named me Donna, which means woman. Hmm. And I think a lot of good stuff comes from my father because he never tried to shut me down or make me feel like I had no right to speak. And I was able to observe how passionate he was as a healer, as a photographer, as a man who enjoyed life so much. He just loved life in every part of it. So I think that's where my passion comes from. And then I think that my concern about women comes from watching my mother and knowing how hard she worked to maintain like a good home for all of us and to take care of everybody and how unappreciated she was. And so I just, I think it, you know, it all goes back to childhood. I mean, I grew up with a lot of love. And in that, whenever you hear me say that I'm like an ordinary person, in some ways, quote unquote, normal, you know, I, I kind of knew who I was, even though I didn't want to be part of the mainstream. I didn't want to be a girl like all the other girls. I knew I was very different from a young age. But it wasn't about my sexuality. It was about something inside me that just had to be expressing and provoking and combative and you know having a good time and i just um i just think that just came from whatever seeds of love that my parents planted in me i was the firstborn in the entire ferrado pizzo ferrado family i am like the matriarchy of a very big italian family that goes all over the place back to Italy you know the pizza Ferrados that then became the Ferrados so you know it's all of that it could say it comes from pasta fagiol you know it comes from the foods that we ate when we were younger really the pasta fagiol and all of that good stuff wow so and I've got another question but I see George you're on here do you want to unmute and ask the question yourself I think you're here. Here, but I can't. Okay, there. Can you hear me? I'm in Central Park, actually. Yes. Um, Lucky you. And yes, we can. 
Well, I, I have a, my question was about process and, and your relationship to your camera and, and, and the process. But in listening to your talk, I, I'm, uh, I've filmed, I'm a documentary filmmaker among other things. And I filmed a lot of women and from a man's perspective, trying to uh, share uh, what some of the things that you've been exploring that we don't hear from uh, that side from a man's perspective of how women see themselves. And, and so my question is, among other things, you, you talk about your father's uh, and his bipolar. Uh, uh, one of my documentary subjects is uh, has uh, bipolar. And I learned a lot from him. And I'm just wondering what it was like living with, with, with him and with that experience. You talk about the love, but also what you learned. Can you go a little deeper into that? Well, thank you, Gio. Um, yeah, I can, I can definitely do that because like, you know, I think that bipolar hits people different times in their lives and it can be, uh, you know, a blessing and it can be a curse. And for my father, who was the first born in his family, very poor immigrant family who had nothing, him becoming a doctor and putting himself through med school and doing, he, in a way, his bipolar um, uh, condition was what gave him great passion, great energy, self-confidence. It was his, his, you know, secret weapon, really, in a way, because he was never tired. He was always out there and he was always changing and growing and enthusiastic and yeah, he could be very tough. He could be brutal. You know, sometimes he would be very tough with me and with, but you know what? We always knew who he was really. And he, he was full of joy and it was only in his later years after his father died that his, and he couldn't help his father that he began to, to um, punish himself. Hmm. And in a way in his seventies, that's when, all of his, you know, his other his secret sides, he was having affairs, having other children. Um, and it all came out in his 70s. And from that point on, he, he, he went into the dark side and he plummeted. And he got to the point where he couldn't even write his name. And so then I saw, you know, how, how much pain he was in. And that's my mother and I both responded to his pain. We wanted to heal him. We wanted to get him better. And but every time he would get better from that point on, he would be very strong for a couple of years and then he would go and he would do crazy things. You know, it was hard watching him hurt my mother, hurt his sons. Um, I was probably the only one in the family who could be really tough with him because I loved him so much that I could I could hold him responsible. Um, but in the end, when someone is bipolar and if they don't want to take the medication because it's so complicated, you know, to find the right, um, you know, the, the, the right amounts, you know, ex or exactly what kind of medication they can be on. Every person is so different. Then they're going to be a big problem and they're going to have problems. So my father did not, he did not want to interfere with his brain to mm -hmm. my father, his brain was more important than anything else. And he wasn't gonna let his family shame him or pull him down. He wasn't gonna let anybody shame him. He was gonna live the way he wanted to live until his last breath. 
Wow. So he had that kind of bipolar in him. It seems like he really influenced you and a lot of who you are is seeds were in that. I could see that in you. Exactly. It's his seeds in me. That's I got the seeds of my dad and my mom, and they are both really, really strong people, but they were the yin and the yang. You know, they they were they complemented each other in many ways. And growing up, I saw some some extraordinary things happening between them. But I always saw my father having the better end of the deal. You know, my mother being kind of this, the, you know, just the housewife. And I knew that was wrong. She was so way more than that. Well, she she that's what she did to you, too. She gave you that. She did. She always fought for me. She didn't want me to stay with any man when she realized that I because I love men and I leave them. That's been my history. And I have to tell you, Gio, I've loved a lot of good men. And when I leave them, it's brutal. There's a lot of pain, but they don't act like the kind of men out there with I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your children. I'm going to haunt you. I'm going to stalk you. It's like they were there's a lot of respect in the men that I've always picked to to love. And so that's why I think I feel so hopeful about men. I know that there are good men out there. They just can't keep trying to control women. They have to give that up. And women can't try to control men either. We got to love our differences. You know, I think that that's a really important thing. And I'm not, I don't want to make women out to be like, we're all little angels. We're not angels. And a lot of times I hear about pretty bad things that women do, even with their own kids. Um, women aren't angels. They got a lot of pressure on them though. Way, way more pressure than most men, three out of five men ever try to understand what women are going through and what it takes to bring children into the world. I also think that we have a, a particular lens on it after or during and now hopefully coming out of the pandemic that really highlighted the amount of, uh, well, first of all, it increased domestic violence because home isn't safe for a lot of people. And mm -hmm. then there's economic insecurity, which also comes out in domestic violence. And then you've got childcare um, and yeah, it really showed the, the reality of the, or, or the underbelly of what we live with. And I think we have time for like one more question if there is one from the audience. Okay, let me just ask a question then of my audience here. You know, cause we don't wanna push you into asking <laughs> questions, but I would really like to know about how you all feel about what's embedded in the cover, what this cover, what this book essentially is all about. Did you all hear about what I embedded and wrote in there and painted over and wrote it again? What do you think about that? Tell me. Talk to powerful, us. Powerful, powerful. I'm still digesting it. <laughs> I think more men need to see and hear uh, how women uh, see them. We don't get enough of that. And that's what your book says to me. It's really for men and they don't know it. 
Very true. I could kiss you for that, Gio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think, Be Proud? What do you think about that cover message? I love that cover. You can tell me the truth. I love like it. I love the passion that's in it and the colors, the red and black, and how that brings everything together. I love, um, besides the cover, I love hearing you talk today because knowing your work for a long time um, and finally hearing you speak, I can feel your passion as well as having seen it in your work. So I'm really looking forward to this book. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm so glad you came today. I love your work. I really do. So this, this is an honor for me. So glad. Ellen, what do you think? Ellen, what do you think about that message on the cover? Well, I love the message on the cover. <clears throat> I wish the first cover had a place. I don't know whether it does have a place in the, maybe like is the back cover, you know? So, uh, because I also thought that was so powerful too, uh, the use of, of text and all those words that we've been faced with from who knows when to now. Um, so, but I, I loved your cover. I thought it was uh, simple, elegant, and powerful. Thank you. You know, I, I, I actually was hoping that Powerhouse would get this book into airports and was picked up. And so that was, that's why I was really thinking, ah, you know, who's in an airport, so who's gonna pick up a book with a cover that says, you know, cunt, bitch, slut, dyke, you know, man hater, whatever. <laughs> who's gonna do that? I was trying to make it easier, but be more subversive. That's what I had. That was my mission with this book was to subvert the patriarchy. I also really appreciate the use of the Lambda symbol in there for to bring in the inclusiveness. That's brilliant. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have Ellery, um, who is now um, Ernest Malarkey. Ellery was my assistant. I met them in a in a class in, in uh, that Pete Mueller brought me into at, at Mount Holyoke. And Ellery was one of my my uh, attendees there. And we we just got so connected and tight. And then when they were done with college, they came and lived with me that summer. While I was, but it was one of the early summers of making holy. But and then we they just kept coming back again and again and again every year. And and they were here as I was doing the final touches on the book and, and Ellery, Ernest, Ernest opened my, my mind, my heart, my consciousness on every level. Ernest, not Ellery now, Ernest, <laughs> Ernest Malarkey. Thank you. Anybody else? Elizabeth, what do you have to say, Elizabeth? We've known each other a long time. Hi. I'm just so happy to see so many young women on and younger people here at the on the talk, you know? It just makes me so happy to think that your message will spread through generations and will just keep going. But I love the cover, you know, how graphic it is and it almost feels primitive. It has sort of a primitive vibe to it. That's a real energy that I think is really great. So, 
and you know it's a puzzle to that we all need to keep deciphering for ourselves right mm. so yeah. love you donna love you <laughs> thank you i love you sabella smith really this has been extraordinary right um, back at you donna really i mean it was really interesting because as I said, because I, I, I'd been looking at the work in that iteration and I wrote about it then and then to get this one and then just to connect as we did. I mean, gender equity is huge for me and um, and violence against women. I mean, I don't even know if we got to this part, but I, uh, in a former life, I was a social worker in New York. And one of my main issues was violence against women and child sexual abuse. That's what I worked on. So um, I take very uh, passionately all of those pieces and the fact that um, they intersect here in the visual world. Uh, it's just, it's so important. So it was meant to be. I really, really thank you for this work. I thank you for all that uncovering that you did to make it the way it is, which is just extremely powerful. I saw in one of your videos, the painting of the outside and the idea of that in one of the galleys, right? And this idea of blood and, you know, blood, sweat, tears, menstruation, like there's just so many ways in which you, um, you nailed it and it took a lot and um, we're, we're grateful. Thank you. So, yeah. And I really felt the urgency to get the book out before the election because I really, I mean, I labored on this. I went back and made so many changes. This gobble knows, you know, we were, but I, it had to come out before the election because I was really concerned that we were gonna go through another four years and where would we be? I mean, we would all be underground. We would be hunted. Um, there would have been a witch hunt. Trump loves to talk about the witch hunt all the time. Mm -hmm. which, they, they would have been hunting us, you know, mm -hmm. everyone who stands up for women, women's rights. And um, we were in danger. So I just felt like I had to, this is my last chance. I had to get it out, everything that I felt you know, come what may, it had to come out. So that's why I really pushed Powerhouse to just, you know, let me have a thousand copies. I, I pre-bought a thousand copies and I said, you gotta print this book now, last September it was, so that I can have that book and get it out. I don't think people really understood what I was pushing or why I was pushing so hard, but I didn't, I didn't, I really thought we were gonna be in a very terrifying place after that last election. And it's still not good. And we still have a lot more work. Yep. And Biden really needs to talk about abortion. He needs to say the word. He needs to come out clear and strong and in favor of women's rights to live as they, to do what they want, to be childless, to stop an abortion, to stop a pregnancy. To stop a pregnancy is a woman's right because women are the ones who know what they have to do with their lives. So we need, we need to get Biden to, to, to face it, that this, is, this country is still a very dangerous place for mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. But I was really worried last year before the election. I'm still worried. Well, it's interesting. I think one way to look at this is um, 
cracks in the wall, right? And they're coming more quickly and they're letting in more of the light. So, you know, as hard as some of this is that we're up against, um, there's a lot cracking the wall, cracking that wall of uh, the patriarchal infrastructure. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Exactly. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming. Thank you, Donna. And um, it's always hard to stop, but I, I will and need to. Um, I wanted to say, ironically, my next three books are all women photographers and they're all naked. Everybody is doing women. Naked. We so June, June is awesome. You can come. Maybe we should all be naked. Um, yeah. It is, um, Mon Mona Kuhn is doing her book on works, which is retrospective, and she's so gifted at the human form. Um, we are bringing in from Paris, Renee Jacobs, well, not from Southern France, who did a book of Polaroids, uh, a, a lesbian photographer who loves to shoot women from a female gaze. And lastly is Jocelyn Lee, who her book came out uh, this past year called Sovereign. And it is women over 60, mostly, uh, mm -hmm. in naked, uh, empowered in their bodies. So it's just really interesting the way that shook out. And I'm excited to, um, to shout out about it and figure out ways to uh, call it like, you know, Naked June. So that's how we're wrapping. And then we're going to take um, some time for the summer. But um, thank you. Thank you. And I hope you all come back. And Donna, I can't wait to like hang out. So that is in our future. Beautiful. I'm looking forward to it, Bella. I'm on it. All right. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Love you. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for coming. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Matilda. Thank you, G Gabo. Thank you. We couldn't have done it with everyone. Thank you. Yes. Thank Gabo for us. Mm -hmm. He was so on getting me JPEGs like that um, good you were good thank you <laughs> no it was just like yeah. thanks for organizing it it was beautiful thank you you're welcome today my help was only opening closing the windows with the whole construction <laughs> here you probably got really <laughs> hot yeah i'm actually gonna open it again okay so when you come either we come see you or you come here sabella and bring matilda okay and the four of us will go out i would love that that's cocktails and dinner here where are you located, Donna? Just right down by in Tribeca, right? Very close to the World Trade Center. It's very easy. Oh, to I'm coming to visit in two weeks. I'm coming Come to here. Come here. Come here. Come over. Fantastic. <laughs> there you go. A stop on your, yeah, on your itinerary. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny because I um I stepped out of my studio to actually work on a on a writing project and I'm in a friend's house when they go away I go in their house because it's on the ocean, um and the last time that I that I broadcast from here the power went out so I was really happy we didn't have anything like that happen and I have to tell you because I was about to tell you when we were first on so a group of women. So we're on the North shore of um, Massachusetts and a group of women started going in the water in January and went every, some of them every day since. And because it was a full moon last night, I got invited to the mermaids, they call themselves. And we were out in lightning and thunder, like nobody's business. 
and we we waited it out. And I, I took some shots last night, and someone did a really awesome video, and uh, and we went in the water. It was really cool. Very brave too. It was very right. fun. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's good. That 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 that's in you now. All those electrical charges and the, you know, and the swimming in the ocean at night. This is in you now. This, yeah. this you're gonna you're gonna continue being a very powerful woman, more powerful than ever now. Ah, thank you. Well, I can tell you it was really fun because we were watching the storm and the and the lightning was further out, but uh -huh. when we got in the water, which was flipping freezing, it was like 51 degrees, I think. And then we all walk in or run or walk, whatever, and then dunk. And it's like, how long are we going to stay there? I mean, you're really reacting to the, the temperature. And we were having a good time. And then all of a sudden, the lightning was on the other side. And we were like, okay, we're out. And everybody starts running out. And then there was a massive clap of thunder. And I got the biggest kick out of that because it just felt like, like, a signal from on high, like you go girls. It was really <laughs> funny. It yeah, was awesome. For sure. You go girl. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we had a great time. All right. Well, I'm out of here. I have to jump on a Zoom I'm late for, but that's all right. Okay. And um, okay. okay, love you. We'll talk soon. Right back at you. Yeah. All right. Ciao. Okay. Bye. Ciao. Arrivederci. <laughs> like a true Italian. <laughs>